and the guy had had live bears on the property. And I said, well, Shady Greenhorn is an interesting name. And he goes, well, it's a funny story. The guy moved out here from Pennsylvania, from Philadelphia in the 1920s, and he built this stuff and opened a motel over there. And back then, before they built the 25, this gravel road was the road. This is how you went from Taos to Albuquerque. It was on this road. And so what traffic there was had to go past him. And it turns out he made moonshine, this guy. And the reason he had the bears is the still, he had dug a hole in the ground with this iron plate, and the, the bears were chained to the iron plate. So if revenuers ever came around, they had to contend with two live bears to see what was under that door, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, he never, he never got caught. Welcome to Capturing the Abandoned foray into the world of rural and urban abandoned exploration. Hello, this is Vincent Gearhart, and along with my co-host, Mr. Lex Nichols, we'd like to welcome you to episode 18 of Capturing the Abandoned with our guest, Mr. Brian Fuller. Over the past 18 episodes, we've been doing this podcast to help recognize and highlight some of the talented rural and urban photographic explorers that are out there in Bando world. And it has given Lex and I the extreme pleasure to get to know these artists as friends, and it has allowed us to share a handful of these wonderful and talented artists with the rest of you who enjoy this interesting hobby or passion of capturing the abandoned. We're never sure what the future holds, but for now, this will be our final featured artist interview. We have both experienced changes in our lives that moving forward will not allow us to continue this podcast the way we had envisioned it. As it goes, people change, times change, and it's now time to move on. As this podcast is hosted by Anchor, which is now part of Spotify, All past episodes should be available for quite some time into the future. As long as they're hosting it, it should stay available on many of the podcatchers out there, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. And finally, we just want to say thank you all for sharing this journey with us. In this episode of Capturing the Abandoned, Lex and I had the honor and pleasure of interviewing Mr. Brian Fuller, who calls Las Vegas, Nevada his home, when he's home. He has provided us with many wonderful stories from small town USA from across the country and has offered us quite a different twist on our shadiest place question. Mr. Fuller has several projects in the works, including plans to open a gallery in Nevada called the Storyteller's Gallery, and he is currently crowdsourcing an art book of his photography. And there will be a link to this project in the show notes. In our visit with Brian, we were happy to learn a couple of new words, which includes poetography, which is the process that Brian is currently doing with many of his images, and storyoki, which will be making his debut very soon. Without further ado, here's our interview with storyteller Brian Fuller. Tonight, Lex and I are honored to have with us Mr. Brian Fuller from the city that never sleeps, Las Vegas, Nevada. Welcome to the Capturing the Abandoned podcast, Brian. Thank you. Great to be here. It's good to have you on. Um, We've looked through your bio. You've got some really good stuff. So 
Where are you located? And give us some background on yourself. Uh, anyway, I grew up in the Midwest. I was born in Kansas, but grew up in Iowa mostly. I've lived all over New York, L.A., two stints in Cleveland, but I've been in uh, Las Vegas now for a little over 10 years. That's all. They'll take me out of there in a body bag. (laughs) Now, are you like downtown Vegas or are you on the outskirts or whereabouts are you? Well, currently, I'm way out in the suburbs. Like if you looked at a map of Vegas, I'm at about, I don't know, 1030. And uh, if you went another 200 yards, you wouldn't be in Las Vegas anymore. It's way out there. I used to live right on the Strip, but I'm moving out of there at the end of this month out to a little town up north called Pioche, Nevada, P-I-O-C-H-E, for those of you who keep us court home. And that's about 900 people, and uh, five national parks touch it. And I'm looking forward to some quiet time up there. So are you are you really familiar with Las Vegas in general? or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you need to you need to cut the line. I'm your guy. So, Brian, how did you get into this type of the abandoned photography? No, really, kind of by accident. I uh, sort of set myself free professionally about oh, 15 years ago now, and uh, I do a lot of business consulting is my primary uh, my, my my job. And so I've got clients all over the country. And so the easiest way is just to drive around. It's the most efficient, you know, where I can see two or three in a day instead of going to airports and back and forth. And uh, I've always had a love for photography. I'm a big fan of, uh, like Diane Arbus. There's all kinds of people that have really inspired me over the years. But I just never, I grew up really poor. And the idea of having a camera and film was just not possible. So about the time I started doing this traveling, the the phones got pretty good. The cameras got to where you could do something with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just, you know, taking pictures. Really, I have, well, I have a series on Facebook called Road to Ruin on my personal page. <laughs> and uh, so every year I just kind of document what I'm doing and where I'm going. And, you know, it's pretty entertaining, at least it's intended to be. And so I got, once the phone started getting good, I realized I could actually make on the phone, the things I was seeing in my head, you know, I would look at a, an interesting wall with a cool texture and color on it and take a picture of it, but it didn't look like it looked in my head. You know, I, and other people would look at that and be like, why did you take a picture of a, a wall? You know, <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I was real proud of it, but, uh, it didn't make a lot of sense to folks. I, even now I'm not sure it does, but it, at least they can tell why I did it. But, um, Anyway, about 10 years ago, maybe, or nine years ago, uh, I had my last BlackBerry, and I was sitting in a bar in Fargo, North Dakota, and it was failing to do whatever I was asking it to do for about the 43rd time, and I just smashed it on the bar, (laughs) and I went the next day and got an iPhone, because I figured if anybody would have one in stock, it would be in Fargo, and sure enough, they did. And uh, so I got my first iPhone, then it was iPhone 4, and I was reading up what are the what are the good camera apps and camera plus was the, the go-to app at the time. So I downloaded it and learned how to use it. And that's what I've used ever since. And uh, so everything I shoot is I have, I've had as many as three different iPhones. I'm not that particular now. I only have two, but uh, they, you know, they're, they're, they keep getting better and uh, camera plus keeps improving the app and adding to it. And so as I've, you know, sort of learn how to master it or hope to try to master it, uh, it's come right along with me. So it's been good. I feel good. like 
I'm awesome. showing the picture that I can see in my head to the people I'm showing the picture to, you know? Yeah. Good. good. I think there's two kinds of, of photographers. There's documentarians, right? They want to tell you what that thing looked like. Exactly. And, uh, and then there's storytellers. And I, my things don't always look like what they look like, but they're trying to convey a message. They're telling a story. And I started about, I don't know, a year and a half. I was put, I was titled them. And then I started actually writing, you know, I put like song lyrics or some a writing sample, tell a story about the thing when I was posting it. And then about a year, a year and a half ago, maybe, I started writing uh, poetry to go with each one. Oh, and, uh, so I, 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 tr- I call it poetography, right? So I'm clever. I <laughs> work. So, uh, so what I do in the moment is I just, you know, I'll, I know why I'm taking the picture and just whatever thoughts occur to me, I'll just make some notes. I carry a notebook with me all the time. And then I'm usually about eight weeks behind in editing from shooting. Like I don't, you know, edit the same day I, I make the picture. So sure. I refer back to that notebook and then I, you know, remember that moment and flesh out those ideas and, and try to tell that story in words as well as with uh, the image itself. And uh, I travel like 300 days a year, right? So, you know, my mail would pile up, be like hip deep by the time I got home. And it's just a drag. And so I had a buddy who's a, who is a photographer, a professional photographer named Michael Mays. Uh, hi, Mike, if you're listening. And he had put a post on Facebook, hey, I'm looking for a roommate. I'm moving. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, sign me up. And I mean, here's somebody to pay the bills on time <laughs> who can collect the mail. And I don't have to be there. And it's great. It was a great deal for him because I was never there. You know, it was a three-bedroom apartment with him all but 100 days of the year. You know, 100, or 100, maybe he had 70 days he had to deal with me, but the rest of the time was him. So it was a really good situation. Anyway, Mike was, uh, Instagram was kind of a baby at that time. And being a photographer, he was looking at it. And he said, hey, you know, you should, like, look at your photography, you should really check out some of these sites. And he had, you know, just kind of gone through and found a few. These are the other kind of this gritty, grimy you know, abandoned stuff, you know, things that are kind of like what you're doing that other people are also doing. You might like that. So I did. I'm like, oh, wow, there's this whole thing out there. And this was exciting to find that. And uh, like Sierra Wins was one of the first ones I followed. She does a great job. And uh, Jill, I was from Canada. I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but just absolutely wonderful photographer. So it's really inspiring. Jill Coop? Yeah, Jill Coop. Anyway, so, I, you know, it kind of tuned me into it. And it also gave me something to shoot for. You know, is there they'd been doing this for a while already by then. And for one, it's cool to see other people that, that see the world similarly Our the things, our work is not the same, but I could tell that the same, like I would pull over for the same things that they would, you know, um, I might see a different part of the picture than they saw or, or, or do it a different way, but I was attracted to the same kinds of things. And, um, I think anytime you feel less weird, that's good. And also, you know, having a photographer, a guy who was making a big chunk of his living as a photographer, say that your photography is good is very inspiring. Um, yeah, that helps a little bit. The camera. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned you uh, just shoot with your iPhone. Is that correct? That's correct. I've never owned a camera. I don't. I tried one. I had a, a girlfriend a couple of years ago that was all big into digital photography. So. Uh, we went on a trip just roaming around Nevada for a, about two weeks, and I, I tried to use that camera every day, and I just hated it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe someday I'll give it a try again, but 
Uh, I just like the, I like the immediacy of the phone. I like the intimacy of it. And now when you're using camera plus two, they have a, there's a raw setting that you can use and it's basically the same as a digital camera. There's almost no difference. Oh yeah. Right. It uses the full picture. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So really put your phone on hyperdrive. And, uh, cause that was one of the things early on, if you wanted to print something the size of a postage stamp, it was great. You know, if you want to print something like, you know, two feet by three feet, forget it. <laughs> you just wanted a picture yeah. of pixels. Yeah. So, so you mostly, you just use camera plus then, huh? That's all I use. Yeah, that's, that's all, all you I use. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Do Everything have- shot on the phone and edited on the phone. Do you have any, like, you, you set up your own filters and things like that on it, or? You know, I don't. They have a way to do it, but I'm old, and I don't <laughs> like learning new stuff a lot. So, uh, you know, sometimes I learn enough that I'm having a good time, but I don't want to get crazy, you know. And uh, another reason for me not to have a camera, I don't ever want to know what focal length means or any of that. I mean, I, I, I so admire people that, that do that. That shoot the film, but I just that's you know I'm I have more than ten thousand to finish images, and it's partly because it's immediate. You know, I hop out of the car, I see something while I'm on a walk or whatever, and I can pull out that phone, take the picture, tell the story right now, and I can take a hundred of them. I'm out nothing. You know what I mean? There's no exactly. risking anything. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Well, it fits in my back pocket, so I don't, I'm not carrying this brick around with me. And, right. Uh, you know, because when, when normal times, like, I, you know, I'm out. I'm not sitting in a, in a motel room. I'm out at a nightclub or a bar or something almost every night of the week. And so having that thing to have to chunk around or worry about where it's at, I just don't want it. Out. You know, I like just popping the phone out of my pocket. And, and I, I have two pockets, so I carry a phone in each pocket. <laughs> models. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's good. Ryan, uh, how long have you been doing this? Like that I've cared about it about 10 years that I've really, you know, nine, 10 years that I've really been paying attention like, like editing and like trying to tell that story, not just randomly going, Hey, I was at this place and took this picture, you know, um, where I was purposefully making an effort to create art. You you've got the the phone thing figured out. Your your work shows, and you know the beauty is we can't tell what kind of camera you shot it on, and that's a right. Whether yeah. you're using a phone or or a cheap camera, there's no nothing that says, hey, this was a ten thousand dollar Nikon right. or this was an iPhone right. or whatever. So this is my favorite question. So I'm gonna let Vincent <laughs> ask. Uh-oh. We always like to ask this. Alex, you always have the honors, but uh, I guess I'll take it tonight. That's for sure. So what yeah. is the shadiest or worst place that you've ever been to and taken pictures? You know? <laughs> I know you've got a oh, story. Man. I've got a bunch. Well, it's funny. Yeah, I'm going to open a gallery here in a year or so. It's going to be called Storytellers Gallery. That's the name of what I'm going to call it. But, uh, I mean, the shady stuff, I shoot a lot of urban decay, so... You know, when you're in, like, the abandoned part of Detroit, which is a big part, it's dangerous. Um, You you really don't know. And I've been surprised by squatters a couple of times where I think I'm shooting an abandoned structure. And all of a sudden, you know, somebody pops out of a room. And, uh, you know, when I'm, like, taking Detroit or East St. Louis as an example, you know, they're tough, man. And, uh, like, I'm never more than about 15 feet from my car, and it's running. <laughs> you just don't know. But uh, I've never had to get away. 
Yeah, but when you say shady, it reminds me of a really funny story. I was in uh, New Mexico. I was taking a back road from Taos, I think, down to Albuquerque. And so I had gotten, I get distracted easily, like, you know, anything can happen. I'm like, oh, you know, a, a butterfly. <laughs> I drive off some other direction. And so I ended up, I was on this little gravel road. And I wasn't that far off the 25, so it wasn't like I was way out in the wilderness, but also you couldn't see anything from there. You know, it's New Mexico, so it's mostly empty. And I look off in the distance, and I see this little grove of trees, right? And groves of trees don't happen naturally very much in New Mexico, so I thought, oh, there must be some kind of structure over there, you know? And uh, so I drive over, and sure enough, there's two abandoned uh, cinder block buildings. Look like they were built, like, in the 1930s, and then a a more modern two-story ranch-style house across the street. And then the ruins of like farm kind of stuff and an old motel across the street from Alessa. So I get out and I'm walking around these cinder blocks. Somebody has painted them uh, this beautiful green color. And it says on there, Shady Greenhorn, right? S-H-A-D-Y, Greenhorn, like somebody who's you know, new to the West, right? Is Greenhorn. So I'm walking around taking pictures. Well, this guy who lives in the house across the way comes up and approaches me. And this, you know, these things can go one of two ways. Some people are really delighted that you're doing what you're doing and other people are armed and want you off their property right now. And uh, he was the former, thankfully, very nice older gentleman. And uh, so I got chatting with him and I asked him, you know, he was telling me the history of the place. And I've been a gas station with a post office uh, and a machine shop and a garage. And then across the way had been like a little five or six room motel, right? And the guy had had live bears on the property. And I said, well, Shady Greenhorn is an interesting name. And he goes, well, it's a funny story. The guy moved out here from Pennsylvania, from Philadelphia in the 1920s. And he built this stuff and opened a little motel over there. And back then, before they built the 25, this gravel road was the road. This is how you went from Taos to Albuquerque. It was on this road. And so what traffic there was had to go past him. And it turns out he made moonshine, this guy. And the reason he had the bears is the still, he had dug a hole in the ground with this iron plate, and the, the bears were chained to the iron plate. So if revenuers ever came around, they had to contend with two live bears to see what was under that door, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, he never, he never got caught. But uh, anyway, I guess what he would do... Yeah, here's the shady part, which is so funny. I mean, the guy was like so self-aware. and It's also clever. Anyway, it was very American. So he's making this moonshine, right? And I guess when the guy took the property over, he said the whole basement of the machine shop was just full of it, mason jars. He said it was like rocket fuel. He'd never smelled anything like it in his life. <laughs> he had to have, I believe it took two truckloads to take it all away. And uh, I was very disappointed wow. he did not save at least one jar because I was so curious. But what he would do is, you know, cars would pull over to get gas or whatever, and he had a little diner in there, and he'd get talking to him, like, hey, why don't you have dinner, why don't you have lunch or whatever. So while the family's eating there, he'd bring out some of this moonshine and try to get Dad to have a drink or two, right? Well, I guess this is like, you know, very high-proof alcohol. <laughs> so after a couple of these, Dad would be sauce, right? He couldn't drive anymore. Well, why don't you just stay in the hotel across the street? <laughs> That'll be great. So he would end up selling not only a tank of gas, but a meal, a jar to his moonshine, plus uh, a motel room to the people that happened to wander through his place there. 
but uh, Shady Greenhorn, it's an actual place. I could, that's one of my, for, in terms of shade, it is very shady. They got trees and the whole thing. Uh, but that's, that's not what cool. he meant. <laughs> yeah, sure. America. So, so Brian, what's, uh, what's the best place that you've been to or, or if you have a favorite story or anything like that, just, just something that really strikes you as being, Hey, this was an iconic thing for me. I think small town America is very precious. And I think that, you know, I grew up in Iowa mostly and those kind of core values and you know, duty, honor, being as good as your handshake, looking people in the eye, making promises and keeping them. Like, just when was the last time you heard the word honor in a sentence in America? It just it doesn't even exist hardly. Uh, I probably can't use all fingers of one hand to name the honorable people that I know, you know? Um, right. Which isn't a, a ding against people. It's just our culture has changed a lot. Right. And when you, these little towns are just getting ground to powder. And they're losing their population. The kids are moving away, you know, and they're left full of whatever old people live there. And when they die, that's it. There's nothing. And there's a process that you see repeated again and again and again throughout the country. And that, um, you know, where you see, oh, maybe there's a Walmart on the edge of town in a town that used to have like 10,000 people in it, you know. And I'll use, uh, I'll, I'll tell a happy story, a, a full circle story. So I'll take Saul Furious, Texas, as one of the best town names ever. Texans are good at naming stuff. Uh, Arizonans are also really good at naming stuff. Like there's a place in Arizona called Two Guns, Arizona. It doesn't get better than that in the West, you know? Uh, so Saul Furious had a big dairy. That was their reason to be existing. You know, Walmart had parked a smaller version of one of their stores out on the edge of town. And Fall Fear is at its peak. I mean, that whole area within 50 miles probably didn't have 50,000 people in it. And that's just not enough people to have a Walmart. So what happens when that happens to small towns? And it's not Walmart's fault. They sell for less. That's, that's their premise, and they're not lying. They, they do that. <laughs> so when, when the city fathers grant that lease, they think, oh, we're creating 100 new jobs for our town or whatever Walmart needs. What they're really doing is they're turning all of their business owners downtown into part-time greeters at Walmart. And their downtown becomes abandoned overnight because Walmart is selling at retail for less than these guys can buy for wholesale. So the bike shop goes away and the men's clothing store goes away and the barbershop goes away and the optometrist mm -hmm. goes away and the doctor goes away. And, you know, all those basic, the core businesses that make any town work, Walmart does all that stuff or a high percentage of it. And pretty soon, that's all there is. So the first time I went to Fall Furious, that the main street was literally the buildings were crumbling and falling into main street and there was no way to pick it up. Uh, and nobody cared to, you know, whatever was left there were people that just, you know, that the town was dying. There was no question about it. And, uh, you know, so I made a bunch of images of it. And if you're looking at my, the, the best place to look at, to see the most of my work is on my, um, well, B. Fuller photo on Instagram, obviously, but the same B. Fuller photo on Facebook. I don't really post the Facebook page very much anymore, but it's divided by state. And so you can see some of these older images. If you just click on Texas, you'll see, you know, 500 images from Texas. And some of the things I'm talking about will be in that, in that file mm -hmm. uh, when you go to my fan page. But anyway, uh, I mean, it was really bad. And uh, that highway is also apparently the highway that the banditos uh, motorcycle club uses to get meth from the border to like Dallas, right? 
between that and Walmart, these little towns don't have a lot of chance on that highway. It's tough. So, <laughs> it's tough. And so anyway, they, they about, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe, I saw that um, they were putting in a big gas station, like a big shell or something, a big convenience store. Stripes, I think, is the chain down there that's a big one. Uh, they partner with Valero usually. And so they were putting in like a, you know, 15 pump, a big gas station and a big convenience store, which is a lot. I mean, that's, you know, it's probably 15 jobs, 16 jobs for a town that size is pretty great. And then I saw that, uh, the next time I went by there, that Godfathers had taken over these buildings, the pizza company, uh, that were falling into main street and restored them. They changed the front so that you could tell it was a Godfather's, but they fixed it. Like they cleaned it up. They fixed it. It looked great. You know, it was really cool into the flavor of the town. And so the whole thing had kind of perked up. Somebody had opened up a little coffee shop down the way. Uh, the theater wasn't reopened as a movie theater, but they were doing like plays or something. It looked like, uh, and I'm not the mayor of Paul Furious. So I don't know all the details, but that's just at a drive by. That's what it looked like to me. You know? And, um, uh, and then I went through the next time they were holding a, cause the school was also abandoned. Whenever you see an abandoned elementary school, that's the end. That's the end. Uh, the next, as soon as the liquor store closes, that town is finished. That's, that's the last business that survives in every town is the liquor store. And, uh, <laughs> I'm making that up. The liquor store goes, you're done. Um, so when the elementary school is out, that means there's no, there's no families anymore. Right. And so there's been long abandoned. Uh, the movie theater done, um, and the, the high school abandoned also. And you could oh. walk around inside that thing, and it wasn't it wasn't like fenced off. So you could like go check it out. You know, it's as much as whatever your risk level assessment was of stuff falling down. So anyway, here five, six, seven years on from that first visit, I go back, and they're having like a town festival, and all these people are out there, and a ton of them were under thirty five years old with the little kids, which I was so excited to see. And in the abandoned high school, they were having a three-on-three basketball tournament in the gym, which probably, you know, who knows the last time that thing was used, probably 30 years. Uh, so it was really cool seeing that town come back. Um, but I remember that story because it's the only one like it I know. Uh, you sure don't, don't hear that story very often, that's for sure. Uh-uh. So whoever the guy was that decided to build that Valero and Stripes combo over there, uh, and Godfathers are personally responsible for saving that town. Yeah, oh, that's um, a great story. And I, I love that. And that, that's, you know, that to me, that's such a, I mean, America population-wise, yes, it's L.A., it's New York, it's San Francisco, it's Chicago, it's Dallas, it's Miami, you know, it's a great, like one out of every eight Americans is from California, right? So um, <laughs> they, they have a seat at the table. Meanwhile, places like Oskaloosa, Iowa, and Kalispell, Montana, and Whitefish, Montana is my favorite places on earth. Um, Colfax, Iowa, you know, these, these little places, they, they, they have stories and they're filled with interesting people. They're filled with interesting history. Like Colfax has this big monastery up on a hill overlooking everything. You have no idea what this thing is you're driving by. Uh, it's just like a blip as you're going by 80 miles an hour on I-80, you know? And uh, so getting off the town, getting onto the two lane and really checking it out is, I think, one of the real pleasures of being alive. And it's been a, a treat for me to kind of document these places while they still exist in their current form. You know, that's um, nice. Right. Yeah. Too so, sure. Brian, we're looking, we're looking through your feed and, uh, you know, we can see a lot of different stuff you have in there. You do a lot of a lot of awesome vehicles. 
I like your signs, all that stuff. Yeah, but thank you, thank you. If you uh, if you had a best shot, what would it be, and and why would why would you like it the best? Well, my absolute, I have two favorites actually. So the the one that I use for my logo for my business cards and for my Instagram page where you see the beautiful photo across. That's from a place called Pilot Point, Texas, and it's the rear end. You can hardly tell it, but it's the rear end of a, a just a rusted out car on a guy's in a guy's yard there, and uh, and the guy was funny about it because when I can tell somebody's there, I'll ask permission usually because I don't like getting shot at, and uh, especially in places like Texas where people are heavily armed and uh, very <laughs> property rights are important. <laughs> yeah. Yes, if you're in the middle of nowhere and you happen to accidentally knock a door open, uh, then you know, or it's like some corn stalks might be dragged about it. That's about it. <laughs> um, anyway, so that it's it's a I love it because I love texture and like color gradient, light, and that image uh, really shows that in the back of this car. It's not really a picture of anything. It's the left rear tail light in the beginning of the trunk is kind of the arc that you see in the, in the image. And that's really my probably my all-time favorite image. I made that, I mean, five years ago now. Um, I mean, you always like the things you're shooting now the best, right? But if I'm, if I'm picking from all of my favorites, that's high on the list. And then uh, another one, that uh, I also have a business card that I use that was actually from Colorado. Um, I'm going to find the name of this town. Uh, it's 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 a, one of these places where it's down to it's a bar, uh, a closed gas station, a private home that's probably owned by a mechanic, I would guess. And that's the town. Yeah, you know, there's an abandoned, a couple of abandoned things, an abandoned farm. It has a uh, hand trap. You can tell. You spend a lot of time on the road when you can tell how they made the road. And there, are, in America, there are still a few sections, small, short sections of hand-troweled concrete from the 1920s or before. And um, back in the uh, WPA days or what, but there's a section of Route 66, old Route 66, because it moved several times, you know, um, in Missouri. That's, there's about a mile and a quarter of hand-troweled concrete left. And uh, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's so much nicer <laughs> than what I'm driving on, or what all of us are driving on right now. Uh, but great, you can imagine. WPA projects here in our area, too. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it had to be something like that. But you can see, like, the subtle trowel marks. and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And if I can think of the name, um, Albatross, Missouri. Albatross, Missouri, right down from there is where this piece of road is. And, and there's a couple. This happens a little bit, and I love to see it when I do, um, where people will be retiring and they'll buy a town. They'll buy one of these towns. And as part of their thing to do while they're retired is they fix them up. And so Albatross is one of these places. Um, they actually bought the town adjacent to Albatross, which is the main street of the town is this section of road I'm talking about. And they're restoring the buildings. They, they're they're making it like a museum. You can't go into buildings, but if you look in the window, it looks like you're looking at a 1962 malt shop. You know, it's that kind of. It's very uh, nostalgic. Uh, I think that stuff is really cool. Whenever I see it, I love to find it. Cool. There was a guy out in, uh, gosh, in New Mexico, in Chloride, I believe it's called. It was an abandoned town. They, the last people lived there in the 1930s. 
And this guy from California bought the town. And it's just every day he's out there next to his RV working on the building. You know? <laughs> Talking about off the cool. beam track, but it, it's so cool. I mean, it just is so cool to see these things. We came cool. up on a place like that out um, in our area, too. A guy bought the whole town, kind of trying to get some stuff going on it. Just, who knows if it'll come to anything, but it's a pretty neat yeah. project. Somebody takes that on and tries to it make something cool. happen. Well, and as a Nevada guy, i got to give a little plug. There's a guy doing this. There's a, a town called Goldfield, Nevada, which at one time was the gold capital of Nevada. And... The whole town is basically a, a complete ghost town. It, it, it peaked at about twenty-five or 30,000 people oh, about 100 wow. years ago. And then the, the mine ended, and that was that. And so before that happened, yeah, if you go to my B. Fuller photo, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to digress here for a second. I found this Colorado this, okay. this picture I, I, I really love. It's on my, my B. Fuller photo Facebook page. And if you go to the Colorado folder in the photos section, it's the cover image. It's called Villain. I made it in 2017 in Ludlow, Colorado. Is the name of the town. I was trying to remember, but there is one. There is a bar still open in Ludlow. At least it was last year when I went by there. <laughs> I've been up there. Uh, I have a friend yeah. that lived in uh, a little town right outside of there, so I've been to that. That's the coal camp and uh, the whole Ludlow yeah. thing. No, and this picture yep. shows. I, I call it black and white and burned is the technique. And it's, it, it takes dozens and dozens of layers of different things to get this look. And uh, if I have something that's unique to me, it's this. There's no, like, filter that just creates this. This is, you know, about a dozen filters layered again and again and again with other little stuff that's in the, in the Camera Plus app that you can tinker with. And you get this look of a very vintage photograph that's been sitting, like, on a shelf for 50 years, you know. So, uh, Brian, you want to talk about some of your art shows or any upcoming excursions or book plans or anything you got in the work? I got stuff going on. You know, I've, I have never done an art show. I I was just <laughs> I was going to do one uh, prior to the the gift of COVID uh, down in one of my favorite places in the universe, uh, and you can see it on Instagram is the Desert Air Motel in Sanderson, Texas. And uh, I tell you, if you want to go for a drive, just take the 90. Uh, you, you go from, I believe it starts at about Fort Stockton down to Laredo. And the Texans call it the Far West or uh, Big Bend country. And there's a national park out there called Big Bend National Park. I don't know how many tens of thousands of square miles it is, but there's not 10,000 people living in that whole area. And half of those live in Alpine, Texas. Uh, Anderson has about 800 people in it and another one of these wonderful stories and I had noticed because I love making this drive it's about 650 miles I think from El Paso to Laredo taking this way uh, 100% worth it like it's so great uh, Prada Marfa is on that road uh, Marfa Target is on that road which these two tiny art installations that are hysterical out in the middle of this place they're just pure genius uh, the Marfa Lights you can see in Marfa, Texas. Uh, and Marfa is, really, Marfa is like the Aspen of that area. So it, it looks staged because it is. <laughs> it's still filled right. with a bunch of cool people that aren't rich people from Houston. But anyway, there's a couple from Austin, Texas. And they come out that way to Big Bend. They've got kids, and they would bring them out there to go camping and fishing and you know boating, playing in the river. 
and they kept driving past this old motel in Sanderson, uh, the desert air. It had kind of a cool old sign that wasn't lit anymore and it's kind of run down and they just, you know, they just, they go by it all the time on the way out to the park. Well, one time they're going by there and they see a for sale sign up and, and these guys are, Oh, I don't know, Nick. And they're like in their thirties, the high thirties, late thirties, I'll say. And, uh, so they're like, well, let's just, let's just, let's just ask. <laughs> so they go you and they that? ask and they end up, yeah. And they end up buying this motel. Okay. And so Nick, the husband is pretty handy. And so he comes out there from Austin on the weekends and he'll work on it. But what they did, his wife, when they redecorated the place, they, uh, cause it still looks like a 1950s or 60s, you know, cinder block motel. Cause that's what it is. But they have, they have dolled it up so nicely, and she is a big fan. She's a big photography fan and art fan, and there's a lot of, obviously, Texas is heavily, you know, it inspires not just me. <laughs> there's a lot of people that love Texas. And so she went through, and she did her, just picked out her famous, her favorite things from Texas artists and uh, used that as the wall art yeah, in the different rooms. So if you go to the Desert Air, room 102 is the B. Fuller photo room, and there's two of my images hanging on the wall there. And they uh, they had a grand opening two years ago, I think, when they got the sign finished. They had done the whole motel property, but they got the sign relit. And so I came down there for that and was part of the grand opening. It was so cool. I and mean, it was just so cool. Like the whole town turned out. It was a big event, you know. So I went, I took my, I signed my images and put their words on the back and everything. So they're, they're numbered originals that they have in, in room one or two. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's very cool. So that, but anyway, they, this year we're going to start an art fair. Uh, and so they had invited me to come down there, of course, and uh, a dozen other folks maybe that are, that make up the other artists primarily that are in that group, right? And so sure. I decided to do it. It was supposed to be in May, but of course that all got killed and uh, they were going to do it again in October. But my wild guess is that it will more likely happen next May. But that was going to be the first like actual art show in, in Sanderson, Texas, not New York. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. But uh, I've always been like, I'm a control as, as free form as my life is. I'm, I'm very, I, I like to be in charge of it myself, you know, so That's good. Uh, I've never, I've never accepted any gallery offer. I don't, you know, on my website when it's up right now, it's on the frizz, but by the time this happens, hopefully it'll be fixed. So I've always sold that way. Every image is limited to only five prints and uh, now I destroy the, the digital file. So they're all signed numbered and, and I write whatever the words are that go with that image. Those are handwritten by me on the back of the image. Well, that's and, nice. Uh, that's a nice way to present them. Yeah, so it's something that you know the person that my people that collect my work, thankfully there are a few, can you know pull that thing off the wall and show that and tell the story of that piece. You know, yeah, that's and, cool. Uh, you can probably tell I'm chatty, so I, I don't mind. I like telling the story. Oh, that's so cool. You know, this, I remember that right. day I went. And, that's uh, right. things, So Brian. Uh, you know, you kind of started with a little bit of a list earlier in the in the show, but uh, can you, you got a list of people that you want to do a shout out to? Some of your Instagram people, maybe some art influences, anything like that? Yeah, well, like I said, the, the classics, like Diane Arbus was always, as a kid, I so admired her photography, Andrew Wyatt, of course, you know, the obvious one. Um when I first really started paying attention to it on Facebook and then as Instagram came along, Elizabeth Thorpe is someone whose work I, I really love. And she, um, 
she was a very successful photographer in Los Angeles and then got married and moved out to the Carolinas and started like tending bar or something. And uh, has only in the last year or so started shooting again. It's so great seeing her work. Uh, Michael Mays, I mentioned, is my roommate, uh, a really sweet friend of mine, another professional photographer who encouraged me early on, a gal named Cameron Martin, who passed last year. Um, you know, when people who are, that you think are great tell you, like, whenever Elizabeth Thorpe clicks like on something, I have to pull over and cry. You know, <laughs> like twice a year, maybe she'll click like on a picture of mine, you know, and uh, like if you played guitar and Jimi Hendrix clicks like on your song, you know, and uh, so it, it means a lot. Uh, Jill Coop's work. I love, love, love her eye. Uh, Sierra Wins is one of my favorites. Um, and I follow, you know, a few of the hubs. I uh, I'm a Russ Lord VIP or whatever, so I, I follow a bunch of their pages. I have I do a lot of the TRB pages, the everything, you know, transport, the ICU pages. ICU USA is great. Uh, and then I've started because I've been shooting black and white so much more the last 12 months. I mean, I'm shooting the same thing all the time, but I'm editing in black and white, uh, the miracle of digital. And uh, so I've been doing like uh, BMW Zone. I like uh, one of the gifts of the. The ways that Instagram has changed since Facebook bought it have been almost universally not good. Um, but, but one thing they changed that I like is you can follow a particular hashtag. And so, like, if you just follow the contemporary photography hashtag, you'll see this huge range of phenomenal photography from all over the world. So I always find that inspiring. And it's random. You know, so like when I'm when I'm following Abandoned After Dark or Abandoned Seekers, you know, some of these pages, these hubs that I really enjoy. Uh, you know, you're seeing all kind of similar-ish things when you're on a more generic one like that. It's everything. And I think that's, I find that really inspiring. It, it gets my, my creative juices flowing. I, I just, I, I, that part is great. I love being able to really hone in on stuff, but also still be able to see all kinds of things. If I'm not just looking at one thing all the time, because yeah, obviously that's what I'm shooting. That's what I'm interested in. Those are the things. The, the kinds of things that appeal to me. But when I sure. see, you know, the work of different kinds of artists from all over the world, it's, it makes me see the things I see in a little bit different way. You know, it adds some, adds some seasoning yeah. to the sauce. Yeah. You know? Some good ideas and that's, that's good stuff. So Brian, what's the best way people can get in touch with you? Is it through your website, or email or direct? The simplest way, really. Yep. It's just Instagram me. That's the easy way. It's just direct message there. And, uh, and I respond, like, you know, I respond to every comment. It's me. I have a, a small marketing, ma a media management business, uh, also, but I, I, this, I run myself. I, my own before photo is me, it's me personally. So anybody that replies to a comment there, you're talking directly to me and I try to respond in real time as much as I possibly can. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I want the work to be as accessible as possible and get people to, who maybe normally wouldn't think like, oh, I could do that to go, oh, I could do that. I'm not trying to make it this lofty. Like, I love T.S. Eliot, but I can't write poetry in Greek or Latin. That's not, I'm, that's, I'm, that is not me. So when I get, whenever I get a note from a dude that's like a truck driver who says to me, you know, bro, that really touched me, or I, I get that, or that happened, I understand exactly what you're talking about. 
that's exactly what I'm trying to achieve. I want to, I want to make it like a gateway to this other thing. And I don't know yeah. if they're going to move directly from me to Shakespeare, but at least it gets them thinking about like, I could do this. And, uh, it's such a pleasure to me to do it. And I have literally hours every day that of enjoyment I get from doing this. And, yeah, uh, it's just, there's so people. much, there's so many styles, and there's some, so many different kinds of images, and yeah, it's 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 always a treat. So, one last question we like to ask is if there's anything else you'd like to add. Maybe talk about your book. Um, maybe a little yeah, more about your you. website. Because I'm terrible at marketing. I, I tell you a story about an art show with 800 people coming to it instead of my book. <laughs> That's why I'm at uh, sleeping at Red Roof tonight and not the Ritz. Uh, let me tell you. Yeah, I have a book, and I've, I, I was mildly productive during the quarantine period in Nevada. And I, People have been asking me for years, you should do a book. When are you going to do a book? So I finally did a book. It's finished. Uh, I'm, I'm publishing it because, again, I'm a control freak. So, uh, you know, it's all museum-quality paper. It's uh, about 98% done, but I think it's going to be approximately 24 inches by 17 inches in the hardback version. I'm only nice. doing 100 pressings of the hard book, so they're all signed and numbered. People can, um, yeah, if they want me to personalize it, like, you know, Uncle Joe, blah, 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 whatever. I'll write that in there while I'm doing it. Uh, so there's a hundred of those, and then I'm just whatever, however many paperback versions. And it's the paperback is small, right out of the dimensions yet, and it's it's still nice, but it's not archival 140 pound paper, you know. It's, but it'll still be a nice book, uh, definitely yeah. coffee table worthy. Uh, so that's happening, and then hopefully in the spring. I, this is this COVID. I'm not the only one I know has put a damper in my plans, but I had planned to uh, either in the the art district in Las Vegas is booming, folks. If you're coming to Vegas. Yes, the Strip is fun, and, and Fremont Street is fun, and all that stuff, but truly, it's one of the great cities of America, and you, you've got to get out into it and, and see it, and uh, the Arts District has really flourished in the last few years, and you get a little taste of it down at the end of Fremont Street. There's a thing called Container Park that has a 30-foot-tall praying that. mantis. Yeah, there's a big praying mantis down there that breathes fire at night. <laughs> so, there's stuff happening, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, there's a vibrant art scene there, and they've been re- steadily revitalizing Las Vegas Boulevard between downtown and Strip. Uh, Las Vegas Boulevard is like Fifth Street in Vegas is what it really is. They just renamed it. When you're on the Strip, you're actually in a town called Paradise, Nevada. You're not in Las Vegas. Um, when you when you drive towards downtown, there's a sign up across Sands, basically the border, or Sahara, rather, is basically the border of Las Vegas. It'll say, welcome to fabulous Las Vegas is one of the, the famous signs that you see. Yeah. So, so they, they've amended that to say fabulous downtown Las Vegas, but that's really Vegas. And the the original high school of Las Vegas, which is this magnificent art deco, uh, Southwest combo. I mean, it's so gorgeous is down there. Uh, the original courthouse is still there. They've converted, uh, where they prosecuted all the mob guys in the eighties was the Clark County courthouse is now the mob museum. And so when you're, when you're going to the tour, you're actually sitting in the seats where these guys were prosecuted. Uh, it's, it's, it's really cool. Uh, so anyway, there's, there's a whole area now that there it's getting cleaned up and fixed up. And I'm hoping that when I'm ready, it'll be ready and I can rent a gallery space there and uh, it'll be called, it's called storytellers gallery. And, uh, I'm going to have 
I'm a drinker and a storyteller and a talker, and I love hearing other people's stories. So I figure, you know, the gallery is not really going to have like office hours so much. <laughs> what will happen is it'll open up sometime during the day when I feel like having it open. And uh, people can come out, have a drink. I'm going to have karaoke instead of karaoke. You, know, you can drink free as long as you're sitting there telling a story kind of a- uh, <laughs> I'm very excited about that. Hopefully, we'll sell some art once in a while, also, because you do have to pay for the booze and the uh, and the rent. That's Good. awesome, man. Good idea. Yeah. Well, Brian, so we'll find out. We we have sure enjoyed your stories. Uh, you you are a storyteller, and uh, that's <laughs> that's what we like. So we really do appreciate that, and and we hope we give you a chance to you know share your story. So so yeah, so, I appreciate but, it, guys. Been a been our pleasure to interview you, and uh, we uh, appreciate you taking the time to pour your uh, life passion out. It's always fun yeah. to hear what uh, what makes other people tick. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much, Brian. Brian. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Really a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks you too. Bye bye. What an exciting treat for us to have Brian share his adventures and stories with us here on the last and final episode of the Capturing the Abandoned podcast. You can find Brian on Instagram at bfullerphoto, that's B-F-U-L-L-E-R-F-O-T-O, and on his beautiful website, bfullerphoto.com. Thank you, Brian, for being such a patient and exciting guest. The music bed for this show is titled Just Traveling and was composed and performed by Mr. Lex Nichols, my good friend and co-host. You can find more of Lex's music on his website at lexnichols.com, on his YouTube channel, Spotify, Pandora, and of course, iTunes. Be sure to give him a listen. You should be able to find our podcasts wherever podcasts are served, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, and many more locations. Once again, we want to thank all of our guests for being a part of this adventure and to all of you listeners out there. Take care and we hope our paths cross again sometime in the future. And until then, goodbye.